0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That prayer, I've probably said this before, that prayer comes from the Book of Common Prayer, written by Thomas Cranmer. Uh, back in the 17th century, and it's kind of the book that we get a lot of our English liturgy from. Uh, a lot of prayers and, and things come from the Book of Common Prayer, which the Anglican or Episcopal Church still uses uh, to this day. Um, we use a lot of stuff from it, but not the book specifically. But they took, they changed this prayer in uh, parts of the In in more modern books so I read it the old way I said read Mark learn and inwardly digest them Uh, that's the talking about the holy scriptures which we're talking about tonight the modern translation is read Mark learn and take them to heart which I don't think is as good because it's not as good of an image Uh, Luther said that when I believe this was Luther when you study God's word. And when you read God's word, uh, you, you study it like the cow chews the cud. So if you know ruminant animals, uh, you know that they'll, so the sheep do this. So I I get to watch this now, which is kind of fun that they'll, they'll eat grass, you know, they'll go around most of the day kind of eating grass, but then other parts of the day, they'll just be sitting there just chewing. And that's because the, uh, way that the stomach works, they, They have multiple stomachs and it goes through multiple stomachs and it comes up and they chew what's called the cud to process all that grass. We're not very good at eating grass because we only have one stomach, right? But uh, the analogy is that when we study God's word, we want to chew on it, right? We want to take some in and, and think about it and chew on it and let it be there constantly in our minds and hearts, um, and that's what Thomas Cranmer was getting at when he said, let us read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Uh, that we would read these things, uh, take, even take notes. I think he meant by mark pretty literally. Um, or you know, highlight whatever you do when you uh, annotate the, your Bible. And uh, whether you do that in your Bible or outside your Bible. And learn them. That means, you know, memorize, learn them, know what they are, and then digest, chew, stu- uh, think about, right? Let these things uh, be on your mind. So we're, we're going to read Deuteronomy 6 uh, later, and uh, part of Deuteronomy 6, I think. And that, that really uh, will come back to that idea. But anyway, I wanted to open with that prayer. So, um, we left off, if you have your Lutheranism 101 book If you don't, that's fine, on page 126. And the last thing we talked about is translation issues. And I made the argument that when it comes to taking the manuscripts of the Greek New Testament and then to some degree the Old Testament as well, the Old Testament is kind of a different beast, although we can talk about that if you want. Uh, the Greek New Testament is one of the most reliable documents in all of human history. We have copies upon copies upon copies uh, for that time period more than any other book we, we ever have uh, from, that, from that time period, from ancient history. And so it's a very reliable document. However, with that many copies you do get some variations in the manuscripts, which 99% of them don't matter. Um, A lot of them are what we even call untranslatable differences, which mean that there's a difference in spelling of a word, or there's a difference in word order in a sentence. But when you translate it into English, for instance, it translates the exact same. It doesn't change the meaning whatsoever. So some some of the differences uh, really just don't matter. The other variants that that matter, I said there's really only three that make a huge, that make a, maybe not a huge difference, but somewhat of a difference in the way that you would read your English Bibles. Uh, That was uh, Mark 16, the long ending of, the quote unquote long ending of Mark. Uh, John, uh, I think it's 754, if I'm not mistaken, uh, through somewhere in eight. Uh, I'd have, 753, to 753 to 811. Thank you. 753 to 811. Um, which is the woman caught in adultery, and then First uh, John. Uh, five, seven, and eight. Oh. Um, and my argument is that Mark 16 and John 8, uh, the long ending of Mark, which includes the stuff about handling snakes and about uh. Baptism uh, and Salvation and the Women Caught in Adultery in John chapter 8. These are totally legit. Um, I I think the, the majority of manuscripts uh, throughout Christian history that have been accepted have always included these. And it's only because of some new academics who think they're really hot stuff that you might have brackets. Uh, ironically, I put a bracket on these. Um, that you might have brackets in your Bible that say this might not be in the earliest manuscripts. blah blah blah. Well, don't worry about that. Um, academics are not as smart as they think they are. Mm. And these have been in Bibles forever. so I think this is totally legit. First John 57 to eight, uh, most modern Bi- unless you have the KJV or NKJV, which NKJV is actually my favorite translation, but unless you have one of those, then I think you have a good 1 John 5, 7, and 8. The KJV adds in this weird phrase um, for whatever reason historically that we don't need to go into uh, where it includes the phrase the Father, the Word, and the Spirit in 1 John 5, 7, and 8, uh, which is not in the original Greek. So the KJV is a little off um, and the NKJV for that matter is a little off on 1 John 5, 7, and 8. But if you have any other translation, then then it's that part's not in there, and then you don't even have to worry about it. So those are the variants that really matter. Uh, I just wanted to um, kind of do a little review there of where we left off. But other than that, you know, only th- if you think about this, think how big this book is, right? There's only, you know, I don't know exactly how many verses Mark 16 is, and then this is, you know, about. 12 or 13 verses, and then two verses, you know, we're talking a matter of less than 30 verses here probably that are in any kind of dispute about what is the Bible. That's pretty good when you consider that the book is this big, right? There's a lot more verses than 30. So, um, that, that, that's, I think that puts us on very solid footing to say what the Bible is and what it isn't. Um, all right. So, uh, the other things we talked about last time is uh, things like that the Bible is self-attesting. So the Bible shows itself to be true, uh, and Scripture reveals Scripture to to be true. We don't have to depend on science or history or any any other field of study to show us that the Bible is true. The Holy Spirit works in us. And uh, the the living Word of God, because it is living, is able to attest for itself, which is circular reasoning, but um, when we get to, I, I said this last time, when we get to apologetics, which I'll do at some point, I think that anyone who makes any kind of argument is eventually going to end up in circular reasoning, uh, which is why, well, well we'll talk about that later. It's uh, too too much to get into. But the Bible is self-attesting, and we looked at a bunch of different verses that show that. Um, we talked about how it's the rule and norm for all of faith in life. We talked about uh, 66 different books, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. We did all that stuff. Um, so you can go back and listen or watch if you need to catch up on any of that. Um, and then the main, one of the main things we finished as well is... The idea of inspiration, which we said, because the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, even though there's, you know, 40 some, (coughs) excuse me, 40 some human authors, the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, and that is going to guide everything else that we're going to say about the Bible. Uh, "Because it is inspired, it can be self- attesting. Because it is inspired, it is inherent. That means without error. Uh, because it is inspired, um, we have a very faithful witness uh, to what it says. Um, because it is inspired, it, is, it, fits, it all fits together, right? So we talked about last time uh, like Jesus on the road to Emmaus, that he takes all of the stuff in the Old Testament and says, "Yeah, this is about me, right?" Uh, you search this John 5:39. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But it is they that testify to me. There is a oneness to Scripture because it is all about Jesus, the Son of God, being sent by His Father to to save and to seek the lost, seek and save the lost. And inspiration gives it that clear one message that it all fits together. Um, because it is inspired, it is sufficient for what we need for life and salvation. So inspiration is going to guide a lot of things. And that brings us into the uh, what we want to start off tonight with, uh, which is that inspiration also, uh, this is on the top of page 127, we're kind of looking at uh, the, what is titled there, God's Superpower and then the Bible Performing Daily, which is that because the word is inspired, it is powerful and performative. Powerful and performative. So these things go together, and what this means is that The word has the power to do what it says. And when the word speaks, when the word is proclaimed, when the word is received, it performs what it says. Okay, so uh, you can take a look at Romans 1, for instance. Romans 1, 16. Does someone want to read that?
1: <clears throat> For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews then to the Gentile.
0: Yeah, so the gospel, which is the message of the scriptures, this is what the scriptures proclaim. It is the gospel. If uh, you read the book of Acts, I would like to study the book of Acts sometime with you. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, the main character in the book of Acts is the gospel itself. The word of God being proclaimed uh, to the nations. And so the gospel, you can't separate the gospel and the word. right? uh, This this also goes back to what I said about um, we're doing the means of grace right now, which is the section in Lutheranism 101 that we're doing. And I kind of gave this analogy that what we've studied so far is the... Uh, main parts of a car, just kind of getting the the structure of of a car. With part one where we talked about like who is God, what is sin, who is Jesus, and then we looked at uh, kind of the inner workings of the car, stuff like what a what a flywheel does. I still don't know what a flywheel does. I just keep using that as the analogy. Um, but we looked at stuff like what is marriage, what is uh, the place of women in the church, what is um, what, it, what is faith, what is conversion, some more detailed things. Well, now we're going back to the main part in some sense, but we're really diving deep into what I call the engine of Lutheranism. right? The engine of Lutheranism, which we can talk about as these means of grace. And uh, when we're talking about the means of grace, what are we really talking about? We're talking about the gospel. Um, this is how the gospel is delivered to God's people which is the main message of the Bible. And so uh, the, you can't separate the gospel and the word. They go together as one. Um, we'll talk about law and gospel later, which is kind of a, a more narrow use of the term gospel than we have here. Uh, there's there, we have a We have a broad use of the word gospel and a narrow use of the word gospel. We're just talking about the broad use now, which is, The message of salvation, the message of the word proclaimed, uh, which includes both the narrow and the uh, the narrow use of both law and gospel. So you can hold that thought for uh, the next chapter. But okay, sorry, I got distracted on Romans 1 uh, 16. But the gospel, the word proclaimed is the power of God to save. This is the way that God is going to save his people by proclamation of the word, by the message of the gospel. His his word is powerful to do what it says. Or you can go back, if you don't want to talk about salvation, uh, redemption, you can go back to creation. right? Genesis 1, and God said, he spoke the word, let there be, and there was. Let there be light. Let there be waters. Let there be creeping, crawling things. Right. And God said, "That's what it, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> creeping, crawling things. Uh, things that creep on the earth." Um, his word spoken is powerful. Right. Or you can go. Uh, we also talked about how these things again are not inseparable. Uh, Jesus and the word are not inseparable. John 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's Jesus. Jesus is powerful to accomplish. Jesus speaks the Word, and the people are healed. Jesus speaks the Word, and the dead are raised. So, The word is powerful. Um, And this is why God, I think, um, I mean, this all goes together, inspiration, sufficiency, power. One thing to think about is that God gives a word, right? This is how humans were created to communicate. God created people with language, right? How do you think? You think in language, right? Does anyone think in images? Does anyone think in uh, feelings? Right? I mean, go ahead, Steve. I, I
2: would say you, uh, you wouldn't be able to dream either without the language. I had a friend that was learning Spanish, and he was working with an orphanage in South America.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he says, all of a sudden, I realized I was dreaming in another
0: language. Right. That's a sign of fluency. When you become fluent in a language, you can dream in that language. And uh, yeah, this is, so once language is learned and language is natural to learn, I mean, you're not, you don't, teaching uh, children language, all you do is speak it, right? (laughs) They just hear it and absorb it and then, and then they, they understand it. Um, This is so natural to humanity to have language. And I, the word was always meant to be written. I think Um, this is God's, Part of God's creation is that uh, whenever He gives his word to Moses, who's going to record the stories of, excuse me, the stories of um, the first five books of the, the Bible, right He write, God writes it down for him first, right on a tablet, two, stone, two t- tablets of stone, writes down the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the word is meant to be written um, in, in God's plan of salvation. And that's how we receive the word. And then from there, that word is also meant to be proclaimed and taught, which we'll get to in a moment. But that's something to think about, is that I actually, I've come over the last two years of my ministry, I used to talk more, uh, at least in, in my own mind, more conceptually about the word of God as this kind of, that's, that sounds to me more ambiguous in a sense, are more uh, conceptual, less tangible. But I've kind of just liked to come to talk about the Bible. <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm in the South and I'm in the Bible Belt, and it's like, you know, Bible-believing Christians, you know, like, yeah, that's great. Um, I love it. But I, the more I think about it, the more I'm just uh, less about thinking about the Word as kind of a... Uh, conceptual thing as like in kind of theological terms and just thinking about the book, right? The actual book, the tangible book, because the book is what we actually read, right? The book is what I preach from. I don't I don't preach uh from kind of my own theological ideas or the theological idea of the word. I preach the Bible. So, um yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I
1: see this big cloud. <laughs> you know, Jesus up there, or God up there. Right, yeah. So The Bible may, you know, I can put my hand up.
0: But right, the yeah. The Word is like... And, man, and, man, and man. how amazing is it that God, who is hard to understand, incomprehensible, right? Uh, he is the creator, we are the creation. We can't comprehend, comprehend Him. That He gave direct discourse with us. Right, that he would talk to us by giving us a book. Um that that is an amazing thing. And so that's uh we, we can put our faith on that, right? Go ahead, Steve. The you
2: know, Lutheran Bible translators, yeah, they, they're working on translations for tribes and groups that have never had it written down before at all. Mm-hmm. So they have to listen to what they say transport into the, the Bible in their
0: words. Yeah, and some Bible translators have to uh, make, make up a written language right. for the language because it's not a written language. It's only a spoken language, which is uh, very interesting. Uh, that's, that said, I should give a caveat that the word can be proclaimed with, without um, it, someone having access to the written Bible. So just... As probably the most obvious example, for hundreds and hundreds of years, most common people did not speak Latin, although that was the only published Bible, was the Vulgate in Latin. It's not like people weren't saved, like they didn't have faith then. They were able to have faith because the word was still preached and taught. Um, and so, anyway, go yeah, go ahead and see. Right, That's yeah, sure. That's do, a good point, too. Yeah, yeah, children can believe. So faith can be there without... So so here's the distinction. Faith can be there without a bound Bible. Faith cannot be there without the proclaimed Word. Right, so the Word does have to be received and believed. Um, the message of the gospel does have to be proclaimed, right? So uh, actually, and we'll just go ahead and flip there now. Romans 10:17. 17. If someone wants to read that. Someone read that. I'm going to run and get my coffee I left in my office. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word, right? The word creates faith. The Holy Spirit uses the word to create faith. So this is something we talked about when we talked about faith, that faith is elicited. In other words, uh, faith, you can just say faith is trust and trust. Why do you trust someone? You trust someone because they show themselves trustworthy, right? They do. They they keep their word. They do acts that show you that they're a trustworthy person. Uh, They they take different actions, present themselves certain ways that show themselves trustworthy. So then, uh, faith or trust in someone is something that it's not like you choose to trust someone, but Trust, trustworthiness is elicited from you towards someone because they show themselves trustworthy. But what the Holy Spirit does when he creates in us faith, saving faith, is we see the word, we get the testimony of what Jesus has done for us. And because Jesus has risen from the dead, because he has kept his word, we, our faith is elicited from us, Right? The Holy Spirit calls us to faith by having trust in Jesus. And so that comes by seeing the testimony, the preaching of his word. That's how all that works together. Okay, so faith comes by hearing the word. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 10. And um, I, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this, but Romans 10 is going to, uh, around that passage, um, This is all starting in about verse 14. uh, It's all about really missions, which in one sense, I say the Bible is all about the gospel. And well, I always use this phrase. The Bible is all about the father sending his son to seek and to save the lost. That to seek and to save part is important because I think um, just to kind of continue this, things that can't be separated from this discussion, I think the Bible is all about mission in this sense. Uh, this is why I was the guy in seminary who was like, give me a church plant, give me a revitalization, uh, because I don't want to just be talking about academic theology. I want to be on mission. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that out of, to show my own piety, but I truly do think that the Bible is all about mission. First and foremost, it's about the mission of Christ to come to his people. And then it's about his people joining him on that mission to go forth uh, and and continue to spread that message. And so that, that trajectory of the Bible is a trajectory of mission. And when Paul talks about mission, when he's talking about preaching to the Gentiles, um, and he says, he quotes Isaiah, Isaiah, um, Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And then he goes on about faith, faith, uh, but not all have obeyed the gospel. Lord, who has believed our report? So when faith comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. The sound has gone out to all the world and their words to the ends of the earth. And he goes on, he he quotes a lot of uh, scripture there. Maybe that's a little bit earlier here. Oh, yeah. So starting at verse 14. Sorry, I skipped ahead. Uh, Starting at verse 14, he says, before he quotes all these verses about mission and describes how faith comes about, he says, "'How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how then shall they believe in him whom they have not heard?' And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God must happen, which means that the preaching must happen and the teaching must happen. Um, This is the the Bible. So as we were talking about, the Bible is given to us by God's grace as this wonderful gift of a written word, what is the purpose of God giving a written word? It's so that it can be proclaimed, right? So that it can be translated, so that it can be uh, sent through all the world. Like I said, when we were talking about translation, the early church was not, unlike other uh, manuscripts of ancient writings, they were not very careful about it really They just said, anyone who wants to copy this, copy it and give it to whoever you want. Um, That is because the word must go forth. And that's because of something we talked about last time with inspiration. Uh, The word is living, right? Hebrews 12, it's a double-edged sword. It's living, able to cut, able to open things up. The word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, right? Okay, so back to this uh, power and performative. The other side, So we've talked about power. The other part is to perform, which means that the word accomplishes that for which it's sent. Oh, sure, I should have written that verse down. What's, uh, what's the passage in Isaiah? The word does not return void, like the uh, Lord sends forth the rains, and they accomplish the purpose for which they are sent. So the word goes out. Anyone know that passage? Okay, well, um, the chapter is not coming to me, so it's in Isaiah. Um, anyway, the the word is is does not return void; it does accomplish that for which it's sent. Uh, God's word does what it promises; it is living and active. And Isaiah 55:11. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, starting at verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and bring it forth in bud so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Okay, so to explain this, let me give you um, a modern analogy where we do have the concept of performative speech to some degree still in our language in a couple of traditions that we have. So uh, two, two ways. One, when the let's say minister of a wedding, uh, whatever the, the legal person who's certified to, to do this is, uh, normally a pastor in the Christian church, but but, you know, it could be whoever. Whenever the minister of a wedding says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, that's a performative word, right? That is the moment, because the word is proclaimed, that is the moment where the the people are married, right? So obviously there's paperwork to be signed and so forth and whatnot and filed, but all of that paperwork points back to that this guy did this thing. He pronounced them husband and wife. Or when a judge pronounces a sentence right Of course there's like paperwork and other things that happen but when the sentence is pronounced by the judge and the gavel hits the thing that's that's the performative word right Well God's word works the same way it does that which it says and so this is especially important for all of the means of grace really that the way we receive God's grace, is through the performative word. So we've already talked about what does the Bible uh, do, what does the Holy Spirit primarily use the Bible for to create faith. The word of Jesus is spoken and faith is created. It does that which it says. Uh, the same is true for Baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is when the baptism happens. It is, as Luther says in the small catechism, he's very clear, it's not just the water, it is the water, but it's also the word in and with the water, combined with the water. The baptism, so baptism, Matthew 28 is that word, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptism does this, the Lord's Supper, right? When does the bread and wine become the body and blood? When the pastor in the stead of Christ says, this is my body, this is my blood, take, eat, take, drink. And that's from the words of institution, which are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. The words which Jesus spoke, those words when he says, do this in remembrance of me, and then we do it in remembrance of him, in remembrance of him speaking those words, those words perform. They turn the bread and the wine into body and blood. Uh, And the bread and wine are still there, of course. This happens in absolution. The word in John 20 Jesus breathed on his disciples and says to them, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then when a pastor in the stead of Christ, uh, I don't know why I wrote that all the way over there. When the pastor in the stead of Christ says, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, that sin is forgiven as before your Father in heaven. Right? And so this is, as I said, this is the engine of Lutheran theology, right? Because... Bible believing, Scripture alone, everything comes from the Word. This is some stuff that uh, other denominations uh, don't take seriously because they're like, well, how could um, how could how could water really do something? How is it not just a symbol? That's just bread and wine. That's just some kind of symbol, right? Pastor doesn't have that authority. Well, the powerful and performative Word gives that authority right? We're just doing what the Bible says. And the Bible, we're, we're not, I'm not, I don't have uh, the power. The water doesn't have the power. The bread doesn't have the power. What has the power? What actually makes these things happen? It's the word, the Bible, right? The words from the Bible applied. All right. So that's uh, power and performative. Oh, I got a clock back there. Perfect. All right, Um, then he goes on into this uh, little conversation paragraph here at the bottom of 127 at the top of 128 about um, good works, which I don't (laughs) really—whoever wrote this chapter, I think it's a pretty good chapter. This paragraph's kind of random because it doesn't actually talk about the Bible that much. But um, I think the point that he's trying to make is that the Word creates faith, and then we respond— to that word, right? So uh, good works, I mean, a common mistake in theology, especially by the Roman Catholics, but by others as well, is that uh, good works are the thing that saves us, right? That you have to do good works to be saved. And obviously Luther, you know, in the Reformation said, Nope. Scripture alone, righteousness comes by faith alone, uh, by through grace. So when we're talking about the means of grace and we're talking about faith and we're talking about the Bible, the pattern is that the Word is proclaimed to us. The Holy Spirit uses that to create in us faith. That faith trusts in the Word and that faith, then responds to the word to lead us to live a life of good works right uh, so and this is the faith and the word are given to us by the grace of God alone right this is the mean the means of grace is the word the Holy Spirit uses the word to create faith faith, Faith leads to good works. Um, and of course, you can't separate these. These are This is the point of James, is that faith without works is dead. For faith to be living, for faith to be active, it, it obviously is going to include this. I'm, Ephesians 2 says this as well. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? You're saved by grace through faith, not of your own doing, right? It's not the works that are the initial cause of things. The works are a result. You're saved by faith, not by your own doing, so that you may perform the good works which God has prepared for you beforehand. So the good works are a result. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty basic, like Lutheranism. It's Lutheranism 101. Um, so, but but he kind of includes that paragraph here. But just so. Uh, we're followed along with the book. Going to include that as well. Okay, so then uh, he gets into a couple of kind of random topics about the Bible here, and we'll just uh, plug away through these. How do we treat the Bible? And his point here is basically to say we treat the Bible with reverence, with reverence. And I think this—he doesn't—he's not exactly clear. I think on what he means by this, but. Um, we, we revere the Bible. We treat it with reverence, care, and respect. And I don't know if he's talking about what... I think he's talking about all of these, but what we do when we hear the Bible, what we do with our physical Bibles, um, what we do in, uh, when we study the Bible, all of these different things uh, could be talked about. But I think I'll give a couple examples of things you could talk about. Um We'll start with what we do in church during the divine service when the Bible is read. Uh, we, so when we read the Old Testament psalm and epistle, we, we sit there and we carefully listen. That's the idea. Maybe you follow along in the bulletin, maybe you don't. That's fine. Um, I would say there's actually an advantage to simply hearing without having to read at the same time. Um, and try and kind of just hear and and comprehend. Uh, You can do either. Um, Sometimes I think if you're trying to listen to someone say what you're reading at the same time, then you're really just focused on making sure you're in the right spot, if that makes sense. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to take the readings out of the bulletin. I know it's helpful for some people, especially if they're hard of hearing. But... um, Anyhow, when we when we read the scriptures, and uh, I try and read them with reverence, which means I try and read them clearly and at a decent pace, and I try and give the right inflections for them. Um, I'm not when I read the scriptures. I tr- I try not to mumble. I try not to. Um, I try and know how I'm going to pronounce the words before I pronounce them. Yes, yeah, Steve. In the uh, well,
2: in Troy and other readings that we have, it usually has glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, it is now and will be forever. Amen. Yep. And I notice that the pastors, even visiting ones, you know, they, they bow when you get to that point. Is that reverence?
0: Yeah, so that's reverence. Um, the the phrase there is for, for that or that phrase is called uh, the doxology or the, um, sometimes also called the lesser gloria. So the greater gloria is, well, right now we have this is the feast. When we switch back over to divine service setting three, we'll have the gloria in excelsis. Uh, Glory be to God on high and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. Song of the angels uh, from Luke 2. That's the greater gloria. The lesser gloria are the gloria Patri is the glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever amen and we put that at the end of psalms we put that at the end of the intro it um just as a extra form of reverence for those readings um that we have received so worship is always a two-way street worship is god coming to us and giving us his gifts means of grace and then it's us returning our thanks and praise to him. And uh, the Gloria Patri, which is Latin for glory to the Father, uh, or the lesser Gloria, is a uh, re- returning thanks and glory to God for giving us his word. And then we bow during that um, to show reverence to God. And we bow specifically during the part where we say the name of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. We're bowing to the name of God. And uh, yeah, that's just a way to show reverence. So good point. Um, But uh, then, so so we we sit there and we, we show reverent attention to the words. And then at the gospel reading... Um, because the, the message of the whole Bible is all about Jesus, and the Gospels is kind of... We, I've talked about this before, I think, um, at some point. Maybe... I don't remember when that was. Um, but the Gospel reading is the central reading for each Sunday, and the Gospels are kind of the center of the Bible in this sense, in that they do show us the person, of Je- the person and work of Jesus which is what the Old Testament is leading up to and then the New Testament is looking back to. So the Gospels, um, they're not more Bible than the other parts of the Bible, but they are kind of the center of the Bible. And so when we read the Gospel reading, what do we do? We stand up, right, to pay more attention to it. And if it's a really important Sunday, we march out into the middle of the church and read it from there. Right? Uh, So that we can be, that word can be right in the middle of everything. That gospel word. And so um, that's one way we show reverence to the Bible is what we do when we read the Bible in church. Another way uh, we show reverence to the Bible is, I think, the way then that we treat our uh, physical Bibles. And this just goes along with what I was talking about in the messenger this month in the extra section, which was a website you can go to to buy quality Bibles. And I'm on this, uh, Bible kick now that I've been studying this stuff. And, um, anyway, I, I realized I've spent this, this Bible. I don't say this, uh, as like any kind of braggadocious thing or anything, but I, I bought this Bible. It's my new Bible. I love it very much. um, For $130, and you're like, "Oh, that's an expensive Bible." Well, I've spent $130 on a lot of stuff before that probably wasn't worth it, and that I probably don't even use anymore, right? Um, I mean, with inflation these days, you can you can spend $130 just getting a getting a yeah at the gas station, getting getting like a quarter of a grocery cart of food at the, at the grocery store. Um, so my point is that we spend money on a lot of stuff and God's word, the Bible is probably worth spending a little money on. Now you can get a Bible, which contains God's word uh, at the Dollar Tree for not even a dollar anymore, a dollar 25, but you can get, you know, a paperback Bible there. That's fine. Uh, but it's probably not going to last uh, a good Bible with goatskin leather cover, very nice. Uh, you can pass down to your kids, and it will last you your entire life. So I think um, it's worth it to treat God's word with reverence. That it doesn't have to be, you know, this Bible. Uh, this is the one I decided to go with. It's by Thomas Nelson, New King James Version. It's their premier collection. Uh, with the goatskin cover brown. They have a black one too. Um, there's another uh, NKGV Bible very similar to this one made by a different company. Yeah? Uh, I
2: have a, a great aunt that died when she was 99. And the pastor just took her Bible and wrote down some of the n- markings that she wrote in the margin. Mm-hmm. That was his sermon. I mean, you know, yeah. It, it was really easy for him to. Yeah. Right. So my point is,
0: it's okay to
2: write the Bible. You don't cross it out and
0: it, but make notes. So I got this Bible specifically for reading, so I don't plan on writing in it, but I do have Bibles I write in. It's also good to have more than one Bible. Um, You can have a writing Bible, you can have a reading Bible. For your reading Bible, uh, I would say get for sure, get a single column. So the Bibles in front of you are probably double column, yep. yeah. yeah? What other book do you read that you're going to read a lot of, like kind of like a novel that is double column, small print? None, right? It it does not, the mind does not work that way. So just get a single column Bible that you can read. That's a larger print. It's going to be a little thicker. It's fine. Um, that you can read single column. It's a lot easier, and you can go a lot faster. Uh, I, I promise you can. So I started, um, again, like, this is my personal experience. I'm not, I'm, I'm saying this as an example, not uh, as a, any kind of braggadocious thing. But um, I started a new Bible reading plan yesterday, two days in. So I haven't failed yet, which is good. Uh, ten, ten chapters a day. And uh, I'll just tell you this. It's um, called, you can just Google this, Professor Grant I don't know, some Baptist, I don't know. Uh, Bible reading system. And it's uh, 10 chapters a day. Basically what he does is there's 10 lists of books of the Bible. He has the, the books of the Bible divided up into 10 different lists. And then you just read one chapter from each list every day. So you're hopping around a lot, um, which actually makes it go a lot quicker, right? So it's not like I'm going to sit there and I'm going to read 10 chapters of Genesis all in one sitting. Um, Could do that, but it actually goes quicker to hop around. And then what you're doing is you're taking this principle of what we've talked about before. Scripture interprets scripture, And you're actually applying that in your Bible reading that uh, you're, ta- you're, you're at, when you're in one reading, you're comparing 10 different, without really thinking about it, you're comparing and contrasting 10 different uh, chapters from all across the Bible. And the lists are designed to be different lengths. So there's a list that's like 250 days. And then like one of the lists is just Proverbs. So you read a proverb every day, uh, you read a Psalm every day, uh, you read something from the Gospels every day. You read something from Acts every day. Uh, you read something from the old, the major Old Testament prophets, something from the minor prophets every day. So you have all these lists, and then uh, you don't get this if you keep doing this your whole life, which I don't know if I will or not. But I'm enjoying it for two days so far. Uh, you get you get you would not repeat the same set of readings for over a hundred years. So you get a different set of readings every day because When you finish a list you just start that list over and uh, because they're varied in length um, i think basically in a year you read the new testament like two and a half three times and you read the old testament like one and a half times or so so it's kind of cool um it's it's something different before i've uh just read through books so that's that's what i've always done until now and i'm enjoying this so uh anyway all of that goes to treating our physical Bibles with reverence. Um, and one of the things I would say when you're doing that, um, so having a good Bible that you like to read and then having a plan to read it is is important, right? So reverence does not mean getting a really nice Bible and putting it on the coffee table and then... You know, saying that looks good. Look at those gold leaf pages, right? <laughs> uh, that's not that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about reverence, we're talking about um, treating it well and actually using it for what it's for, right? Which is to be read, studied, proclaimed, taught. In, um, yeah. early
1: 70s, I guess. I don't know how it was, when it first started, but when and I got married, and the first time you bought insurance, uh huh. Okay, life insurance or something. They would come and they would give you the big Bible. That was the present that they gave, oh. the, which one of we out there. Yeah. And that way you can record out the family. Yeah, bibles. yeah.
0: Family Bibles is another big tradition, which yeah. is good. And I don't know, like I don't even know where you'd buy one of those big family Bibles like that anymore. Um, I really like these um, kind of Premier Bibles they make now that are so EvangelicalBible.com is the place to go, and there's um, different. Publishers that make kind of premier Bibles, uh, really nice Bible. I don't have one. I've just heard really great things, but they don't make a lot of single columns. Is the problem? Is the uh, is a uh, that, but apparently the binding and everything is just great. Is a brand called Skylar and it's a weird spelling. It's S C H U Y L E R, I believe. Um, Skylar Bibles. They make really good Bibles. I know too. Um, but uh, keep a lookout in the messenger because my next articles in the messenger are going to be about, uh, the NKJV and kind of Bible translation and, uh, things like this about Bible reading plans and, and these kinds of things. So I'm going to be putting more information out in the messenger for that kind of stuff as well. Um, so anyway, uh, something to consider, but, uh, I, I'll, I'll give some different recommendations in the Messenger. Eventually, I think if I do a good job convincing everyone in the Messenger, um, I'd, li- I'd like to maybe look at getting some new Bibles for in here. Um, these NIVs are from I don't know when, but um, I, I think switching over to either the ESV or the NKJV would be good. Get us all on the same page. And um, you can get Pew style Bibles that are not that expensive. So anyway, something to think about. Alright. So then uh this next section here, the Bible is personal but not private. And that kind of goes to what we we're talking about with the coffee table, that you have your own personal Bible, right? Uh and uh the Bible, everyone has their own kind of relationship with God's word, I guess you could say. Not to make it too emotional or whatever. But this is the point I've been trying to drive home is that, uh, the Bible must be proclaimed and taught. It must be preached and taught. And really whenever the, the New Testament, um, actually the the Old Testament too, the Bible does not distinguish between the act of preaching and teaching. Um, the words are the same. I mean, there's a couple different words. There's probably like three or four. I think there's like I can think of like four words off the top of my head in Greek that all mean preach, proclaim, teach. But it's all kind of the same act. Um, there's not a huge difference. Like we, have, we, we make a big distinction between church and Bible study. That doesn't exist in the Bible. And the per, but my point in saying that is that whatever you want to imagine that as, whether in there, in here, on the street, whatever, the Bible must go out, right? It must go forth. That's what we were talking about earlier. It's not meant to be this own kind of private thing, right? You study it privately, sure, but but then it has to go somewhere, right? It grows in your heart and it goes out of your mouth, right? Um, whoever believes uh, in their heart and confesses with their mouth, right? Um, Paul says. So uh, these, the, these things are important. And uh, he talks also about reading as a community, which is also important that we read. Th- this goes back to stuff we talked about with Lutheran confessions, that we give ourselves boundaries as we as scripture, scripture interprets Scripture, but then we also don't... Ignore the wisdom from the faith that's been passed down to us, and everyone has their own biases, right? And so anyone can take the Bible and mix it up and uh, preach it wrongly. So, you know, a I always I always kind of make this point that there's all these uh, if you go on the internet or if you go to like liberal churches, you'll hear stuff about like the, the feminist reading of scripture or the LGBT reading of scripture or whatever uh, reading of scripture you may want uh, to have. And they'll take, if if any passages contradict their worldview, they'll just, you know, twist them around and do whatever they need, whatever exegetical gymnastics they need to do to get around that. Um, the, this point about reading Scripture as a community, I think the point is to read Scripture correctly, to read Christian Scripture correctly, you must do it as a Christian. right? So the, the Christian reading of Scripture is the correct reading of Scripture because the Scripture is meant to be Christian. And again, that's kind of circular reasoning, but as kind of a practical example of this or a tangible example of this, we don't have academic commentaries from the early church. Now, you can find things that are sold as Augustine's commentary on this book or Irenaeus's commentary on this book or Origen's commentary on this book, but we don't really have—those aren't really commentaries. What those are are sermons. And the place where Scripture should be interpreted, I think, is really from the pulpit. This is why Christ not only gives the written word, but then he also gives preachers. He also institutes the office of the ministry. Is And that's, that's not to say you can't um, correctly interpret Scripture on your own, but that if we only ever interpreted Scripture on our own, uh, we would end up potentially lost, right? We need guides. We need... And and we need to we need each other to help learn and keep each other in check, and so Christ gives both these things: the office of the holy ministry and the written word, uh, to have the written word, but then for it to also be proclaimed, right? So um, Scripture and preaching go together in that way. All right, I uh, got about five minutes here. Let's, yeah, we can finish this up. Okay, how God's word is organized. Um, so chapters and verses is the first thing, and the only point I'll give with that, everyone, I mean, I think you all understand that. The only point I would uh, make with that is that the verse, keep in, always keep this in mind, that the verses are made up. <laughs> so, in the uh, in the old manuscripts, there are big chapter divisions, but the verses were. I I think we know the guy's name who originally put them in there. Sometime in the Middle Ages, some guy uh, went through and marked down verses for reference sake. Now, verses are really helpful because you can memorize a verse or I can tell you, go to this verse and then you can go there. But when you're reading, keep in mind that uh, when when you're looking at a passage, the passage is meant to go together, right? So, especially when people say, like, this is a great example. Whenever the, the atheist of our age will say, Oh, Christians, judge not lest you be judged. Oh, well, I'm glad you know that one verse. Did you read everything around it? Because guess what? In everything else surrounding the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doing a lot of judging. So, uh, just keep in mind that when you look at passages of Scripture, Look at the context too, right? Um, The old joke, I guess, is that whenever the guy was in the Middle Ages and putting down the verses, he must have been riding his horse down a bumpy road because sometimes the verses really don't make any sense uh, where they're split up. So he's kind of marking, you know, one, two, oh, (laughs) three. So I don't don't know. Um, One other thing about that too is that uh, one of the things you can look up whenever you're looking at Bibles to buy is a uh, reader's Bibles. So this is not a reader's Bible, but um, reader's Bibles will tend to be single column. They will also either not have verse numbers or they will only have verse numbers like off in the margin every like five verses, which is kind of nice because then it is more like a, just like what you're used to reading, right? You're not always used to reading something with all these little markings everywhere so um i i tend to read more reference bibles which have verse numbers and other markings Um, i especially like cross references because scripture interprets scripture and cross references are really helpful in certain things but um readers bibles are also really nice in that you can just read it without distraction so yes is it the hebrew or the
2: greek that was written did have any vowels in it at
0: all. Hebrew. Hebrew does not have so vowels, it yeah. It had no numbers. it have
2: punctuation where it stopped?
0: Yeah, it had section breaks. Um, there are some punctuation marks, uh, not a lot, but it kind of just looks like big block text and it and it's all capitals too, so it's it's pretty hard to, to read. Um, the best example of where that becomes a problem is in the numbering of the Ten Commandments because the there are different traditions in the church, mainly two different traditions in the church, of how to number the Ten Commandments. There's the Lutheran and Roman Catholic way, which is number one is don't have any other gods. Number two is don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then nine and ten are the two about coveting then there's the eastern orthodox and evangelical way or reformed way which is one is no other gods two is graven images which we include under number one three is name and then nine and ten are combined there are nine and ten are combined into ten for them so most publishing houses today of bibles of english bibles are reformed Or evangelical, there are not really uh, any Lutheran publishing houses publishing their own Bibles. So like CPH publishes ESV Bibles, but it's the Crossway text um, in them. So anyway, the only other the the only exception to that is that Northwestern Publishing, which is Wisconsin centered, publishes the EHV, which is their own translation. So um, anyway, the point is that with the Ten Commandments, they will do the section breaks and the paragraph breaks according to their numbering. And then that confuses people because they're like, well, look, in the Bible, it's numbered this way. So why do you number it differently? And it becomes this point of doctrine. But really, in the Hebrew, it's just a big block text that looks like this. And there's there's not all these paragraph breaks everywhere. Right. So um, anyway, that's that's just a point to know that if someone challenges you on that ever, you can say, well, that's not how it was in the Hebrew. And that's why um, I think it was Augustine and Chrysostom disagreed on this point is because they just looked at the Hebrew and they were like, I don't know. It looks like there's 11 commandments, but God says there's 10. So we got to figure it out. I don't know. You know. Um, all right. So that's chapters and verses. Um, that little need-to-know box, you can read that. It's not super pertinent to everything that we talk about the Bible. It's um, about Sadducees and Pharisees. It's kind of an extra thing. Then the two great divisions, Old and New Testaments. Um, The thing I would say about Old and New Testament is that it's a fine division because there is a major historical division there of about 300 years. And... Uh, Two, there is the Old Covenant and then the New Covenant brought about by Christ. What I would say is that don't trick yourself into thinking I'm a New Testament Christian so the New Testament applies to me more or better than the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is leading up to the New Testament. And think about this, that every time... Jesus, every time Paul or any of the other New Testament writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whenever they reference the Bible or they say the scriptures this, the scriptures that, they're talking about the Old Testament. That's the Bible they have. And they believe, Jesus fully believes, Paul fully believes, that the the Old Testament scriptures confess Christ and that they are the basis of everything that they are confessing now as New Testament, New Covenant Christians. The The Old Testament predicts the Old Covenant. It predicts the Messiah. When Jesus comes, he makes things a whole lot more clear. And that's great. So we read the Old Testament back through the New. But... The Old Testament is Christian scripture. The Old Testament is not Jewish scripture. It is Christian scripture. Moses was not a Jew in the religious sense. He is in the ethnic sense. In the religious sense, Moses is a Christian because he believes in the Messiah, right? So uh, when we talk about Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, those are helpful divisions. They're also kind of made up if you will uh they're not it's not that strict it's not that bold of a line right the old testament and the new testament go together so uh that that's what he talks about here uh that the old testament new testament they go together right you can't separate them you read the old testament back through the new and you read the new testament uh through the old all through the person of jesus work and person of jesus christ on the cross um, it all ties together, and the old and uh, so a great place to think about this is First Timothy three, which we talked about last time. All Scripture is profitable and useful for teaching, rebuke, correction, training in righteousness. All Scripture. What is Paul talking about to Timothy? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? He's writing the New Testament. I mean, I think he's talking about the New Testament, too, and I think you could even make a case that he knows. I mean, he's probably read the Gospels, or maybe not depending on when you date the different Gospels, but um, he's definitely talking about the Old Testament, right? I think he's talking about the whole Bible. but, But in his mind, right, when he says that to Timothy, I think he has in mind, like, Isaiah, you know? Uh, that this is profitable for training in righteousness. So, all right. Uh, That's all I have for tonight. Sorry I went a little bit over, but we finished the chapter, so that's good. Any questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, Steve?
2: What should we think of the Apocrypha? And is it just more information for the intertestimary?
0: Yeah, so the Apocrypha uh, is the... um, Little book of, diff, of about like ten or so books. I don't even remember off the top of my head that includes information of that intertestamental period between the Old and New Testament. And there have always been debates throughout the church as to whether or not include it as scripture. And the church has basically always come down that it's not um, canonical and that it's not inspired. Right. So. The way that they this is a matter of canon too, but um, we can talk about canon next time and the question of how something gets in the Bible versus doesn't. But uh, the basic answer is that the apocrypha is not inspired, but it is a good historical work. And throughout a lot of history has been bound with the Bible as a way to give kind of helpful information to. Uh, the reader of the Bible as to what happened between Malachi and Matthew. And so uh, I encourage you to pick up an Apocrypha and read it sometime. I would say, if you haven't read the whole Bible, read the whole Bible first and then read the Apocrypha. But uh, the Apocrypha is helpful. It's not It's not inspired. And... Um,
1: so, yeah, go it's ahead. Contradictory because there's one story in there that says that Jesus killed a bird when he was a child, and that would have been a sin. But then he picks the, ch- the bird. Yeah, out. I'm not
0: I'm not so, completely familiar with that. Um It's been a while since I read the Apocrypha. I read it last year. Um The I know that there are a few historical errors. So like the way that kings are referenced um of different empires there's like a couple of like kind of mistakes in there which is one of the reasons that people said eh, it's probably not inspired um so yeah we can talk about that more uh later but there are historical errors in the apocrypha so that's one of the reasons that we don't say yeah this is you know god's errant word because god's word can't err so yeah i'll have to look up that that story Any other questions, comments? All right. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word as a means of grace. We pray that it would continue to be powerful and performative for us in our lives and in our souls, that we would hear it, that faith would be strengthened, that we would receive all of your gifts which come from the power of your word. We pray that you would strengthen us in the reading and study of your word. That you would help us uh, to hear it and learn it and mark it and digest it more and more every day. We pray this through your Son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: So, what
0: do you think of the uh, Joel Austin Bible? I don't know. He has a Bible.
1: For we can finally well, live victorious in the abundant life God like has promised each one. Of you. So there's a scripture about name written. In the
0: Guess I'll just quit the church and go do whatever I want. You know?
1: <laughs> I mean, but no, this, this is one of the newest things that. Yeah. and then you never see the